Exacto. Ladies and gentlemen, we are tonight. We are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling. And this is Jason is here. Dude, I, I swear to God, I'm not as big an asshole as it sounds like. Troy is here. Hey, I call them like I see them, all right? And Taz is here. I mean, Sal is here. It's Taz! Look at it this way. The first thing we've done together as a team. I grab my dick, you grab your dick. You work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks, anyway. I'm touching my dick. You're working it, and I'm loving it. It is the main event of your wrestling week. It is the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, episode 321. I am your host, Jason. My usual co-host, Troy, is once again under the weather, and we once again will certainly send our best wishes to Troy, helping he get back on his feet very quickly. However, for your grace at home, I am not flying solo tonight. I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the former ECW heavyweight champion himself, Taz, is in the house. Of course, I'm talking about Sal. What's up, Sal? What's going on, Jason? What an introduction, man. Thank you so much for that. Oh, I'm getting good at these introduction things, uh, which you can find out if you listen to the Rundown sit-downs. This Monday, we are set to drop the return episode of the Rundown sit-down as I sit down with all good Anthony Green, independent star. Encourage you to check that out. Now I've got my cheap, gratuitous plug out of the way right off the top. We got a lot of stuff to cover. We are recording this on Tuesday night, just so you guys know. Uh, Some real crazy scheduling in my life this week. Uh, So Sal was uh, gracious enough to join me. On Tuesday night, immediately following SmackDown, so you're getting instant reactions when we get to talking about that stuff. But it was a huge weekend in the world of wrestling, particularly the WWE, as we had both NXT TakeOver War Games and Survivor Series. And uh, we're going to run through those things right now. But Sal, your overall impressions of uh, NXT War Games. Of War Games specifically, I really enjoyed the show. Uh, always enjoy the takeovers, but, uh, you know, I thought they did a nice job this weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't put it amongst, like, the top five takeovers of all time, but I definitely thought it was a solid show. So let's get in there and break things down. Of course, we kicked off the night with Cassius Ono, he of the little boy basketball outfit, <laughs> taking on the man known as Lars Sullivan, the former Dylan Miley who is apparently, as as it seems now, going to be the Braun Strowman, i.e. gigantic, unstoppable force of a monster down in NXT. At least that's what it looks like to me. Uh, Sullivan got the win. I left this one thinking it was, you know, it wasn't... We've seen some great opening matches in TakeOver history. I mean, you think back, we've had uh, Rude, and, Rude and Dillinger, and I, there's so many of them. This one certainly wasn't on par with their typical takeover opening match uh it was definitely the the least anticipated match on the card by far 
Uh, Ono showed that he's still incredible. You can still do amazing things in the ring. There wasn't a ton of build for this. It sort of, I sort of found it lacking as an opener. All around, it was an okay and nothing more for me. I like how they started pushing him as Dylan Miley, and then all of a sudden they were like, well, that name sucks. Let's change that to Lars Sullivan. <laughs> I will say this. Um, the positives I took out of the match, um, you know, Ono laid some really good shots in. Obviously, that's what Ono's going to do. He's the knockout artist for a reason. Um, I hate Lars Sullivan's finisher. I think it's very, you know, just generic. Yeah, if you're going to do a Yurinagi, do a Yurinagi. It's almost like a side slam Yurinagi combination. Yeah, and it almost looked like he, he had trouble putting it on Ono. It looked like a little... Wasn't executed very well either. Well, he's been doing it to guys the size of Johnny Gargano, and all of a sudden you get giant Cassius Ono in there. It's probably going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. it, it, it served its purpose. I'm, I'm not going to like rip it. It was fine. It was passable. And, and you know, uh, we saw Lars take some, some good shots and then ultimately win. I think that's what you needed to do with this match. Yeah. Well, from there we moved on to what many people, myself including, are saying was the match of the night at TakeOver. Of course, the Mercurial Alistair Black finally going one-on-one with the Velveteen Dream. Uh, and I got to say, this one to me had, had probably one of the best builds leading up to it. The video package was great, did tremendous justice. The story was there, just Velveteen wanting to be validated by Alistair Black. Um a lot of people thought they were going gold dust with it. I didn't. I never saw it that way. It was to me again. It was more of a young guy looking at this veteran, this top guy, and saying, "You know, I want your respect. I want your validation." That's the story. I think they told. I think they told it in spades. And the, the beautiful part to me about this whole thing was the match itself was great, um, save for the biggest heel. Uh, in takeover this this at this event, which was the cameraman, because they missed the black mask kick, and you only saw it on the I replay. Was uh, that. They did, yeah. That they missed a lot of stuff on this show, and we'll talk about some of that later too. Uh, but to me, the beauty of this thing is, is is the way they told the story throughout the match was tremendous. The moves were amazing. The the near falls, the false finishes, everything worked. But for me, the thing that I loved most about this was after the match was over, after Aleister Black has scored the win, he grabs the microphone and says, Enjoy infamy, Velveteen Dream. Is that his name? Gave him what he wanted. They had, they worked this out in such a way that both guys won. Aleister Black won the match, and Velveteen got the uh, accolades, the attention, the affirmation that he had looked for from the beginning of this program. Hats off. This was this was beautiful storytelling. And that's what I thought the match was, was beautiful storytelling. Um, on paper, if somebody read you what this feud was about, you know, three, four years now, and you never watched it, you'd be like, no, that's kind of generic and stupid. What they did with it, though, is they made it fit the, both characters. You know, mm-hmm. yep. uh, Velveteen Dream was very outlandish in, in trying to get... Black's attention. Black was very stoic. He wasn't going to give him that attention. They had this great match. The whole match, I thought, told the story of Velveteen Dream trying to get to that, you know, you're going to realize who I am. Um, And like you said, the spot at the end was great. There was one spot towards the end when Velveteen Dream hit this really crazy DDT out of nowhere. 
and, mm-hmm. I, and they got me. I thought it was the finish. I thought that's where they were yeah. going. Yep. I I can look at uh, – there are certain times in this business and, and watching these matches where I can sit there and say, I witnessed the moment a guy became a star. We all witnessed the moment that Patrick Clark, Velveteen Dream, became a star at TakeOver War Games. That was an amazing performance um, for a guy who really – you know, a lot of people didn't expect much of, especially when this Velveteen Dream character debuted. A lot of people thought it was, you know, cheap knockoff of Gold Dust, that he was sort of trying too hard. Uh, this guy has nailed it, uh, and I particularly loved the little touches, the the homage to Rick Rude with the tights. The tights were great. Uh, and then he gets up to the top rope to deliver the elbow, and he does the little hip swivel like the ravishing one. I thought everything was great. This guy, this guy should be a champion before too much longer in, in my book. You know, I like that Nigel brought up the fact that he's only been in this business three years. Yeah, he's twenty-two that years is a old. Baby for this business. I mean, absolutely. You look yeah. all weekend, and it was you know headlined by guys in their late thirties and forties the whole fucking weekend. Yep. Um, yep. So he's got unlimited upside. But the other thing too, I noticed in this match is that. We got a long match out of Aleister Black, and it's something we haven't really got yet. Normally, it's just yep. squash matches. You know, obviously, uh, he's he's been doing this forever. He can work a long match, but it's good to see that he can work that type of program if they put him in there against anybody, really, you know? Well, you go back to the last takeover where he fought a Tommy, and I think that was a match a lot of people had a lot of hope for going into it to steal the show that night. And it wasn't a bad match, but I don't think it delivered in the way people thought it would. I thought this was definitely a match that over-delivered the expectations. Um, And in terms of the Velveteen Dream, it turns out that it was a uh, big week for the alumni of that season of Tough Enough, and we'll touch on that in just a little bit. Uh, moving on at TakeOver, the next match we had was the NXT Women's Championship. Of course, Kyrie Sane, Peyton Royce, Nikki Cross, and the eventual winner and new NXT Women's Champion, Ember Moon. I had a lot of issues with this yeah. one. Um, first off, I don't think it lived up to the high standards that women's matches at TakeOver have set in the past. Not that it was particularly bad, just that it it wasn't at that level of even Asuka and Ember the last two. Obviously, Sasha and Bailey have set high standards. So to me, it fell a little flat in delivering um, to that level. To me, there were a lot of problems with this. Okay, uh, First off, right from the very beginning, I would have liked some backstage interviews, some exposition to explain why Billy Kay abandoned Peyton Royce before the match. There was some communication between the two. We were never privy to it. It seemed like Billy Kay took herself and and the advantage that she brought immediately away from Peyton Royce, and it made no sense to me. Uh, I thought that was that was a big problem for me right off the bat. Um, in terms of continuity of the storylines, there were little things that that are probably just agent mistakes. Things like Peyton Royce has the tarantula on, and Ember Moon comes and breaks it up, which made no sense because you can't score a victory off that move when she's on the outside of the which ring. Which the announcers sounded uh, confused about because they were like, oh, they, she has to break it up because otherwise she'll tap. But I'm like, she's in the ropes. You can't, yeah, you can't really do that. Exactly. So, well, you can't. I mean, there's no countouts and no DQ. So technically, I guess you don't get a rope break in a fatal four-way, but I don't think you can actually get a tap out off of that right, either. Right, it's not a false Cause, count Because anyway. she was outside of the ring. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
my <laughs> wait, wait, wait. My biggest problem here. Before, before you do that, the one. So a couple okay. things I do want to mention. So sure. Uh, P and Royce look like a star when she came down that entranceway. When she did her entrance, I know it's her usual stick, but she looked fantastic. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this girl's moment. And the problem that I had with this match, and, and you're going to get this with four people, it's very clunky. Timing was off all over the place. It seemed like people kind of mixed up their spots a little bit. Um, but what really killed me was towards the end of the match, and this is the spot I had originally thought you were talking about, is Kyrie saying needs to break up a pin. And yes. she's yep. late. And she's mm-hmm. really late to where the crowd starts chanting, that was three, that was three. Right. And it just took me out of it. And then the referee stopped, which is sort of a cardinal sin for referees too. I think you're sort of trained, hey, you make the three. If they don't break it up, that's on them. That's right. uh, because it takes, it does exactly what you said. It takes the, all the believability and credibility out of the match when the official clearly stops a count because someone's late for a breakup. Um, the biggest issue I had, and I had a big issue with the, with the way they booked the, the the winner, and I'll get to that in a second, but my biggest, my biggest issue in terms of spots that you were talking about, uh, at one point, Peyton Royce is dragged on top of Nikki Cross, who is flat on her back, and left on top of Nikki Cross, for a prolonged period of time, while Kyrie Sane climbs to the top rope and attempt and executes her insane elbow, uh, I'm curious as to why, with Peyton Royce on top of Nikki Cross, who's flat on her back, why there was no three count executed there. You know, the agent for that match made it worse too, because the ref twice checked underneath Nikki Cross's shoulders. But yeah. on T on our vision, it looks like her shoulders are down. So yeah. you're checking and you're still not counting. Like right. And and I I, I tweeted that uh, thing that somebody sent out that it was 14 seconds that Peyton had had uh, Nikki yeah. Cross covered. That's ridiculous, man. You can't do that shit. No, no. And if you want to do that double spot, you know, have have Nikki on her stomach or something. You got to do something to make it so that that's not a pinfall. That's just really sloppy agent work right mm-hmm. there and, and putting that spot together. Um, so that was, and of course, in, in the spot you talked about, the, the delayed count, that was also Peyton Royce. So Peyton Royce won the NXT Women's Championship twice in this match, but she didn't win it ultimately because the person that walked out with the belt was Ember Moon. And I brought this up in our host thread, and I, don't, I guess nobody else had considered it to that point. To me, Ember Moon going into this was the one person you could not have win this match. And it's not because I dislike Ember. I'm a fan of Ember. I'm a big fan of Ember. And I think Ember's going to do big things. And I have no problem with Ember Moon being the NXT champion. I have a problem with Ember Moon winning this match. And the reason is very simple. What you've told us the last two takeovers prior to this was that Ember Moon could not win the championship, could not beat Asuka. That was the story we were told. Asuka was so dominant over Ember Moon that she had to forfeit the championship. So the person that takes that belt has to be somebody different. Ember Moon has to beat a credible champion. Otherwise, Ember Moon's title reign exists solely because Asuka left. Yeah. 
To me, that makes her title reign less than. And I think a far better way to book this is to have Peyton Royce win that title, have Ember Moon do a chase, and then Ember beats Peyton for the title. Then you can do it. Then Ember's credible. Then she beat a legitimate champion. The way they did this, to me, makes Ember look horrible. So a couple of things about this. When they first announced who was going to be part of the Fatal 4-Way, and I saw that Ember was in there, right away, in my mind... Okay, they're going to give it to Ember because it's easy. And I hate that because going into the match, Peyton Royce is the one that absolutely like would have benefited the most. Maybe Nikki Cross you can easily make a case for with her whole sanity gimmick. But to your point, Ember Moon in this spot proves that I can win it as long as I'm not fighting Asuka. If you're going to do this... You could have put the belt on Ember in Brooklyn. It would have made that girl. And then you could have had, you could have basically sped up the storyline. Because you know we're not going to keep that belt on Ember. It's eventually right. going to go on Peyton Royce or somebody else. And now she just looks like a, a paper champion. Really? Well, and to, and to me, they compounded the, the mistake by having Asuka come in the ring because then you give us the visual of these two together and, and a reminder. That the only reason Ember has this belt is because Asuka walked away from it. It just it was poorly planned out as far as I'm concerned. Now, I will give this caveat. If I am in charge of NXT Creative, at the next set of tapings, I play up that whole Peyton Royce gimmick where she had her pinned and, and call the title up and hold a match between the two and have Peyton win it. I forgot going into this pay-per-view that Ember was from Houston, Texas. Right, right. Or else I might have it might have clicked to me a little bit more that she would have won that match. So you could there, there's a way you can get out of this, give her the hometown pop you were looking for, and still get the belt to where it needs to be or where it should be at least. I'm skeptical that they're going to do it, but they by whether by accident or perhaps even by ingenious design, they gave themselves an out at the next set of tapings. So we'll see what happens. That's the thing with the with the near pinfalls and everything that happened. Peyton Royce has a case; they can easily go with it. All it takes is a pre right. tape to set up that story. Exactly. Was there a part of you that kind of was hoping that either Asuka or Ember were going to crack each other in the mouth during that ending segment? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I would have taken it either way, really. Actually, on yeah. as much as it would have pained me because it would have hurt Ember, if Asuka punched her in the face, I just would have popped. It would have been hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the uh, the NXT Women's Division got a little bit lighter this week, so they need to build up these girls true, as much as possible. True, but not from the top, uh, like they usually do. <laughs> they didn't take it. Uh, they didn't take their top stars. They went a different no. route this time. No, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Perhaps the most surprising and shocking outcome of the entire weekend, uh, both NXT and WWE was the NXT Heavyweight Championship match as Andrade Cien Almas with Zelina Vega defeated Drew McIntyre and Andrade Almas is your new NXT Heavyweight Champion. Uh, obviously, a, a tremendous match. There were a hiccup here or there, but it was certainly not that noticeable to me. Um, and just some just visually stunning spots. I'm sure it's happened before. I don't remember ever seeing someone do a moonsault over the ring post to the floor. 
that to me, it just blew my mind that they did that. Um, I rewinded it. It was just amazing. The amount of things that can go wrong in a spot like that uh, is, is exponential. It took balls, and he pulled it off beautifully. So hats off to CN. Some real stiff shots in these guys. These guys were not going easy on each other. Um, obviously, the finish looked a little weird when you watched it. It looked like McIntyre got dropped right on the top of his fucking head on that DDT. I, I had fears for his well-being watching that uh, live. Um, later on, going back and looking at it, you see part of the problem was he held the ropes, which is, I think, what ultimately led to the injury, which has come to light since then. Uh, McIntyre with the torn bicep. Uh, some people online have speculated that he tore the bicep and then they shot the finish and Andrade wasn't originally supposed to win. That's garbage. garbage. You don't uh, you don't shoot a finish in a championship match in a, in a company like WWE. Um and, and there wasn't time to have to have organized that change from when the injury happened. Uh, this was the plan all along. And hats off to WWE because this is the thing that WWE doesn't do on Raw and SmackDown, but they do it down in NXT. They took a guy in Andrade San Almas. They debuted him as a face. The crowd rejected him. They didn't continue to force him as a face. They turned him heel. And then when as a heel he wasn't quite working, there was still something missing. They added Zelina Vega to the character. And they told a story of why she was there. And they, they showed steady improvement as a result of her presence. And ultimately, the payoff was him winning the championship. And that's the culmination. That, that my friends, is brilliant, beautiful storytelling character development and all the things that they are not doing these days on the main roster that's causing so many problems for them hats off to the creative again hats off to andrade zelina amazing job she played her role brilliantly in this match and and drew mcintyre i'm not a huge drew mcintyre guy at nxt he's clearly a main roster guy he doesn't really fit in with the vibe at nxt uh, but he went out there and busted his ass and put on a tremendous showing. And here's hats off. Hope he gets uh, heels up and gets back in the ring soon. He will. And and I agree with you that that absolutely was the plan finished. Uh, you know, the unplanned thing was that Drew George bicep, but that doesn't mean anything. They were going home right then. You could tell. Mm -hmm. um, I will say this. So I originally had heard previous to them showing it on TV that at TakeOver war games andrade c and almas was going to get the title shot and the first thing i instantly thought of was oh they're just feeding him to drew drew's gonna win exactly yeah. but then as i watched nxt tv for the past few weeks they built this guy up he beat johnny gargano he beat roddy strong all the segments he had with drew and Zelina were just fucking perfect and uh, not entirely that sit down interview segment was fucking brutal but well it was a little awkward but they got they got you to a point where okay you know what maybe Amos does have a chance here and he was presented like a star in this match uh, the match was great I agree with you Drew obviously belongs on the main roster I never thought he was long for NXT anyway now they did something that I thought was very interesting they made uh, Amos really over the top after the pinfall. And, and celebrating and jumping on the announce table and almost like he didn't expect himself to win. 
he came across a little bit like a face in that exchange right there because he's like the underdog face and the crowd's going crazy for him so mm. that that was a little bit interesting i don't i know that that was you know definitely a decision they of the direction they wanted to go with so is he going to be obnoxious and conceited when he comes out on nxt nxt tv or is he or is this the start of a face turn again which i don't think is a good idea i think they need to keep him you know, keep him obnoxious, make him braggadocious, and yeah. and keep Zelina, you know, doing her thing. Yeah, now I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to see, but we'll find out. I think they're doing their tapings uh, next week, so we'll get quick uh, results on that, and we'll find out what's going on. Uh, what we did find out at the event, special event, was that WWE can do a decent facsimile of war games. It wasn't quite your old school war games. It was a little different. Uh, Sanity, the authors of Pain and Roderick Strong, both fell to the Undisputed Era. Um, I was skeptical when I read the rules. I wasn't crazy about it. I wasn't crazy about the shark cage thing, and certainly not when you flash the lights on the team that you don't release. That was a pretty big production mistake. Uh, This was a good match marred by bad production for me. Um, and some some bad agenting again, or at least some some failures of agenting. Uh, let's start with the good. I thought there were some amazing spots in this match. I thought um, everybody came out of it looking good. Uh, I, I didn't. There wasn't really anything bad with the work that they did, except maybe you know certainly um, Alexander Wolf just slicing the shit out of the back of his head on that table spot, just pools of blood. Uh, we certainly hope he's okay. Um, but the spot was the spot looked great. Um, this is the German suplex spot from the top. Yes, yeah. yep. Through the uh, table. When I originally watched it, I didn't notice that he that he sliced his head open, and then I went back yeah. and I rewatched it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. There was some there was some really cool, really well thought out, really well done spots. I think my favorite of the match was when uh, Adam Cole is sitting in between both rings, and everybody comes to get him. And then they do the double uh, tower um, doom. Yes, and, and he's left just standing there like the smartest guy in the room. It was just yeah, that was really well done. Um, to the rules, and, and like I said, I was not a fan when I read them. However, they sort of fixed it all by adding a rule that they hadn't previously announced, which is if you leave the cage, you your team forfeits. That was a huge, huge addition, and hats off to them for thinking of that. Because it made the lack of a top of a cage less of an issue, um, which also allowed them to do things like that superplex spot. So really good that they recognized that and, and made us took a step to fix it. Uh, good on them for that. Um, to me, my biggest issue with this was you got two fucking rings. You got a lot of real estate to work with, and it felt like everybody was bunched into one ring most of the time. Um and when they were splitting rings, the camera guys were having a real, the product director was having a real tough time being in the right place. Um, I think they missed a spot, a, a big spot by the authors of payment. I think it was, might've been the double collider. Yep. Uh, it was just, the, it was messy in production, the way they did it. Uh, it was messy. I, again, I don't think they made good use of the space they had to work with in that match. Um, but all in all, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, I thought every, like I said, I thought everybody gained something by being in it. Uh, and, and they didn't go too over the top with ending another takeover with a giant, oh my, holy shit moment and a shocking surprise. 
it's good to have those and TakeOver does them well, but I think you need to not have them at every event so that they mean more when you do have yeah, them. Yeah, because then it gets watered down. But, okay, so... <sighs> there are certain things that we know as as fact, and it's because we're hardcore fans, and we know that for Triple H to get this match on NXT, there was a lot of give and take with the boss. You know, and from what I heard, one of the things was no top on the cage. Okay, fine, no top on the cage. Like you said, I like that they uh, use the rule of if you climb out, you forfeit, because that, you know, put an invisible top on the cage, so to speak. Um, the shark cage thing was was fucking awful. I really don't need shark cages in the WWE anymore. Um, and the other problem, as you mentioned, with production is if you're not used to working on two, with two rings, like shooting it, you know you're gonna have problems during the live show. And that, and that like you said, they miss spots. Um, it's just a bad bad time for the production team, and I don't think it's really their fault. Um, there were some. The level of violence in this match was great. Uh, Killian yeah. Dane doing a friggin' coast to coast, and then and before that, yelling at Adam Cole, telling him he was going to kill his friend. Yeah. Beautiful. And and but the other thing is too, is when they announced that okay, one person from each team will start, and then the rest of the teams are going to go in. I instantly knew the order that they were going to go in. You knew that Sanity was going to fill up first, and that the the last spot was either going to be. Well, no, Sanity went last. No, I don't. I mean, see, I meant um, Undisputed Era. You knew Undisputed okay. Era was going to go in there first. Yeah, the heels, the, the heels, heels were going to go in. Yeah, and the, and that the last team to come in, whether it was the Authors of Pain or Sanity, were going to, you know, they're going to fuck shit up because they were fresh. And I appreciated all the weapons and everything like that, but uh, this wasn't War Games. It was a fun match. It wasn't war games, though. I mean, we we've but, seen classic war games, know, and it doesn't play out like that. Go, go back and watch war games two thousand in WCW, though. I mean, they they sort of even changed the concept. Uh, they used the triple cage, I believe, for that. So they changed the concept towards the end too. I have no problem with the the match itself evolving. I you know I'm not crazy about the fact that it it was pinfall. That didn't really sit well with me, just because of the traditional war games submit or surrender. Um, and the fact that it ended with a pinfall, well, whatever it happened to me, I, you made a good point to me. The star of this match was Killian Dane. He was the guy that really came out of it looking really elevated. Um, but all in all, I, I thought it was a good show. I liked it. I enjoyed all the matches. There was nothing that really stood out to me as, oh, wow, that match was bad. Unlike what happened on Sunday night. Mm. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so let's actually, let's just jump right into it. Let's talk Survivor Series. Let's start with, I personally didn't watch the kickoff show, so I really got nothing to add. We had Elias and Matt Hardy. Elias defeated Matt Hardy. Uh, Enzo Amore retained his Cruiserweight Championship against Kalisto. And Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defeated Brizongo. Sal, I don't know if you watched the kickoff show and you've got anything to add. I, I can't add anything to those. Uh, I watched parts of it. Um, I didn't see Enzo beating Kalisto, but I figured as much. Um... And uh, for what it was, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn made their backstage interaction with Brizongo pretty funny. Uh, one thing I took from the kickoff show is that Shawn Michaels is really losing his hair and probably <laughs> should only wear a hat from now on because that shit started looking like Paul Heyman in ECW. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, I, it, it, you know, it's a kickoff show. I feel bad Matt Hardy, you know, all the fucking heat he had coming into the WWF in April, and now he's just a pre-show guy to get over Elias. Well, I will say this um, about the pre-show matches and, and stuff. A lot of people went fucking apeshit when they announced that Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn would be on the kickoff show. And the more I thought about it after I heard it, the more I thought this played exactly into the storyline they're telling with these two guys. So it was actually a good touch to have them on there. It gave them just another little thing uh, to use against Shane McMahon, and they would use it a little bit later on in the show. But then we, so we, let's get to the show proper, and we kicked it off. I was a little surprised that we kicked off Survivor Series with The Shield and The New Day. I thought this was a tremendous match. I thought this was great storytelling throughout. A lot of great use of tremendous false finishes. The spots were great. The double midnight hour, the super triple power bomb, just everything they did worked well. Uh, like I said, I was surprised they opened the show with it. It got the crowd hot, so I guess it did. It accomplished what you wanted to. Uh, the Shield had to come out. It was their first match back together on pay-per-view. They had to come out victorious, so that didn't surprise me. But I thought the New Day came out looking great, too. I agree. And and like you said, there's no way that the Shield were coming back in their first pay-per-view together and losing. That, that wasn't going to happen. But uh, they did their job. That The crowd was hot. I was wicked amped up. I was like, oh shit, we're starting with this. This is great. Um, the spots in the match are great. I thought, fuck, they went long, too. They went like 20-something minutes. Yep. Um, to the point when, when they were done, I was just like, oh, all right. Oh, yeah, there's, there's more show. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, though, you know, that's a dream match that they could have done at any point in, with a little bit more build. But I, I'm starting... Especially after, you know, Monday and Tuesday shows, I'm starting to just think of Survivor Series as, okay, it is what it is, it's a one-off, take it for what it's worth, and then you kind of move on uh, with their, you know, normal creative storyline. So that's the way I'm going to kind of look at Survivor Series this time is, okay, they were one-off matches that didn't mean anything. Well, and they were one-off matches that really had very little build because so much of the card was last-minute or changed along the way, so there wasn't a ton of time to build to it. Um, I thought these guys... And, and the reality of that situation is that these guys have to carry the story in the ring, mm-hmm. and I thought Shield mm-hmm. and New Day did a good job of that. Um, well, maybe didn't do as good a job of that was our next match, the Survivor Series elimination match for the women uh, Team SmackDown, captained by Becky Lynch, at least for a few moments. Uh, Natalia, Naomi, Carmella, and Tamina Snuka, as they took on the team from Raw, captained, yes, still by Alicia Fox, uh, Nia Jax, Asuka, Sasha Banks, and Bayley. This was pretty much exactly what I thought it should be, which was Asuka coming out as the sole survivor. I thought she could have eliminated more than just the last two members, but... They uh they didn't do that. They did have her as the last ma- last woman standing. They had her eliminate two people at the end. I'm not sure she gets as much of a rub from eliminating Tamina Snuka and Natalia as she would from maybe a Becky Lynch and a Naomi. But it is what it is. Overall, I, I thought it was okay. To me, there were a couple of things I really took issue with. Uh, first off, Becky Lynch being eliminated in about two minutes just reeked of old school divas booking to me uh those i think back to those divas survivor series matches where it was like just get as many fucking eliminations as fast as you can and that's what i thought we were going with so there 
I, why make this woman the captain of the team if you're going to have her go out so early so quick? I, I don't really necessarily understand that. I thought it made her look sort of foolish. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and, and bitch too much about that because it is what it is. It's a Survivor Series match. Um, Alicia Fox, I have railed against her being on this team since she was on the team, and I think she validated all my concerns. She was brutal in this match. Um, she had the ultimately right before her elimination she had a tilt the world spot she fucked up they tried to do it a second time still didn't execute it great naomi went to the sunset flip she i I didn't catch whether she either didn't kick out or naomi went to her submission which is i think was the planned spot and rather than fucking take the move correctly alicia fox slipped her arm out making the submission completely null and void and the referee just went you know you're fucking eliminated go go i I counted three on you like that's it just get out of here just go um it looked awful it it, we talked about the believability factor being taken away at war games with the the late save this was 10 times worse than that uh just brutal just awful i sort of found myself enjoying the spot with tamina and naya going head to head uh, I think the Naya elimination by countout was a decent way to save her from suffering a pinfall and kind of keep the aura of the monster Nia Jax uh, strong. Loved the new hairstyle for Nia Jax. I think that suits her much better as a monster character than the glam, fabulous look that she's been sporting since she debuted. Still needs new ring gear because that shit just ain't working and it was made worse with a red, the red fucking t-shirt. Uh Bailey continues to be just there. Uh, Sasha got a little bit of shine in this match, but you know this match was about Asuka, and it should have been, and it was, and it was fine. Uh, are you sure this match was about Asuka? Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely, because who got the last entrance for Team Raw? You have former champions all across the board. Who was the last person out for that team? Who was the last person standing for that team? This was about making Asuka, and they did but- it. But they're gonna make bronze statues of Nia Jax and and Tamina Snuka, cause that's what cause that's what they're comparing it to. They're comparing it to Andre and Hogan and Rock and 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 Austin and. Bleh. Tamina wrestles like a statue most of the time. <laughs> oh, but hats off for the Tamina's new music. It's fucking awful, but it's still better than Tamina. So well, anything's better it. than Tamina. Yeah. So I, oh man, this fucking match. Okay, I have been a fan of Becky Lynch for a long time. I think the girl has amazing comedic timing in her promos. I think that she's an, a tremendous worker. And I don't like the fact that she was eliminated in the first minute and a half. I'll get over it. That's fine. Um, to your point, Asuka uh, definitely needed to be the sole survivor. It would have been cool to see her go against three or four. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh, we we do nothing with Bailey. We do nothing really with Sasha. But Alicia Fox gets all this fucking TV time leading into Survivor Series, and then lasts a good fifteen minutes in the match, only to fuck up everybody else's shit. Why is she still on TV? And Mickey James wasn't on the show. And Mickey James gets to miss the show. Mickey James, a six-time women's champion who you trust, you know she can bring it and deliver, but you'd rather have crazy Alicia Fox in there because that shit's funny, right? No, it's not. It's really fucking not. Like, she she, she takes up a spot that she has no business taking. Uh, Natalia being the fifth member of the, team's, of the team was very 
you know, tired, but I understand now why they did it. Um, yeah, my only issue with that is, is is something that the WWE does a lot lately, which is sort of create this anticipation of something cool and something different and something major happening and then deliver the most obvious, most predictable. Like, if you were going Natalia, just fucking say it's Natalia no. right off the bat. Don't create a mystery fifth person and don't announce it on Twitter. Hold it off to the event and make it something interesting. That's all. Yeah, and they, they've been doing that a lot, to your point. And it, it's it's very frustrating because, you know, I had so many conversations this weekend. Oh, my God, who's going to be the fifth person? Is it going to be this person? Is it going to be that person? And then even after they announced it was Natalia, we were like, no, no, she, she's going to get jumped backstage. It, it can't be Natalia because that shit's fucking boring. <laughs> It's the best way to describe it is the feeling if you go back and watch the reaction videos to last year's Royal Rumble when Roman Reigns was number thirty. That's it. It's that. That's the. That is exactly how you sum it up because that's the, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's that that opening, that anticipation that they're about to do something really cool, that you're about to see something different and unexpected, and be surprised. And now it's just this: what you, you know. Hey, it's me. Uh, it's Crazy Cat Lady. Oh, you're still here? <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on. At least I didn't fart. Uh, the next match was our mid-card champions. Uh, and this is actually the one I thought probably would have and, and maybe should have opened the show. Uh, the Miz and Baron Corbin. Not a ton of note here. I mean, it was one of those things where the match was fine. Uh, some of you people are horrible talking about Maurice should have taken a bump. What is wrong with don't you uh, don't lump me in. Okay, group, okay, please. fine. That, I was, that's I was true. Not, that's true. Uh, uh, I was not in that group, but uh, it was a fine match. I, I Corbin had to win it. He did. I wasn't surprised. I liked the little interplay with Maurice. I thought that added a little something to it. I think my biggest issue with this was because it was heel on heel. I think the crowd really didn't know what to do, uh, and, and I sort of there was no atmosphere for the match. Really, I, you had. So you had like let's go Miz, let's go Corbin dueling chance at one point, but it almost seemed perfunctory, like they know they were supposed to say something and they didn't really care about either guy, so let's just do a half and half chant. Uh nobody's heart seemed to really be in cheering for either one of these guys, and I don't blame them. Uh ultimately it it was just there for me. You know what the other problem is too, is that Miz plays such a great heel and his heel tactics during a match really come off well. But you're not going to cheer fucking Corbin. You know what I mean? You're not going to hope right. that he gets a hope spot or that he makes a comeback. You're just going to be like, uh, what? But the physicality was good. Uh, the end of days was f- per- perfect. And, and you're yep. right. The right person won. Um, you know, in hindsight, though, could they have done things differently as far as who the champions were going to Survivor Series? Probably. And you probably could have got better stories out of it, but... Whatever. Yeah, I, I think they the, if if Ty Dillinger was the U.S. champ, I think this match is a lot more oh, interesting. So much better, right? Uh, that brings us to our next match, the where they did make a change to give us a different match right before the pay per view. Uh, as the Bar, Cesaro and Sheamus, who they promote as the Bar, tell us they're the Bar, but refuse to introduce them as the Bar, uh, come to the ring to take on the Usos. In a match that did get changed at the last minute, of course, originally the Shield versus the Usos. Um, 
I liked the match. I thought it was really good. Uh, I'm a big fan, and I was not a fan of the bar at first. I think they've really kind of grown into a really good team. Uh, I like them. I like that they intentionally try to piss people off with their look and their gimmicks and and everything. I'm I'm a bigger fan now that they've gotten rid of the part of the entrance where Cesaro walks out by himself and then we have all the lights go out. I hated that. I thought it just took way too long. I like the way they're doing the things now. Um, and the Usos are just fucking money. You can put them in the ring with any tag team you fucking want, and they're going to deliver a top-notch match. These guys are at the top of their fucking game. Best tag team in the business right now, as far as I'm concerned, at least in the WWE for sure. Um, I, I enjoyed it. See, it's so weird when you, when you think about it in retrospect because the Usos were putting on five-star matches three years ago. Um mm-hmm. At, at, at different you know pay-per-views and and then their character got a little stale they freshened it up and all of a sudden they are amazing again and the same thing with Sheamus I couldn't stand watching Sheamus matches but you know what ever since he's been with Cesaro fucking shit's great I mean he still yep. does the same moves but for some reason it's just better you know he does the little little bit of tandem offense with Cesaro um I don't particularly like the thing when the guy's in the corner and they like power up that's a little bit eh, for me but everything else is great and i thought this match was great um i thought these four really worked well together and i thought it, it was a good place for them in the card yep and of course that led us oh, did you add this to the list uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about but it's true okay. we went to a backstage segment and literally was it a setup of what was going to happen in the main event? No, it was just Jason Jordan whining and complaining. Why? Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, well maybe that leads to what we saw in Raw. Uh, we had the battle of the women's champions as Alexa Bliss went one-on-one with Charlotte Flair. And this was one I was probably most interested to see going into it. These are undeniably the top two women on, on both brands. Um, there's no doubt about it, at least in the way they're booked. Uh, and Alexa is obviously not the in-ring performer. Some of the other women are, but in terms of character, she is definitely the top performer that they have on on Raw. I'm uh, sorry, on SmackDown. No, she's on Raw. She's on Raw. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm getting mixed up here. Uh, it's, it's she's on Raw. To do considering they switch shows so much. A lot of wrestling in the last four days. My brain's a little twisted. Uh, yeah, but ultimately, I thought this match was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought they told great stories. The camera, for all the bad camera work at NXT, some great camera work in this match where you just see Charlotte sort of stalking Alexa as Alexa kind of pops up and you know has her boo-boo face on. And then the, the natural selection out of nowhere. Just fucking beautiful. And the finish with Alexa going for the Twisted Bliss. Everything was great. And I'm sitting there. And, and you were in the host thread, so you know it. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, the match is over. Charlotte won. She hurt her fucking ribs. She's standing there kind of awkwardly not doing anything. I'm waiting for F-A-B-U-L-O-U-A. And fucking nothing. Yeah. We go to a commercial. That was a spot where I thought a cash-in would have been fucking Perfect. That would have been the only thing missing from this match would be to have Carmella come out and ruin Charlotte's moment. And then you have a pay-per-view. You at least get a title change on the pay-per-view. Now, I will play devil's advocate to that point for a second. Because want to know what made Edge's original cash-in so great? 
is you never fucking saw it coming. And that's the thing. If they ho- if they actually do have a plan with Carmella and they hold off until the until there's a spot, whether it's you know near the Rumble or right before Mania or whatever the case may be, even if it's at Mania, where you don't see it coming, it's going to be that much better. And I think we all kind of thought, <sighs> hey, she's going to take it off for her Survivor Series because Alexa's going to leave Charlotte Lang. So maybe it's better if they just wait. They have until June. But see, here's the problem with that, Sal. When you compare it to the Edge one, at the time, Edge was the first guy. We had never seen it. We had no idea what the strategy would be. At this point, you know, as soon when a heel has that case, as soon as the face champion is really injured, the heel's coming to cash in. You're not going to get that surprise moment anymore to that degree simply because we've seen it. We know what the strategy is at this point. True. But I, I have no problem with Carmella continuing to hold it for a little while longer. She did just I, win I, it in June. Yeah, and I, I just I'm still frustrated about the James Ellsworth release because I think that's that makes it a little less interesting. Um, then we went to the Battle of the World Champions. Wait, Brock Lesnar. Before we do that, sorry, just a couple quick things about the women's match. Um, oh, sure, go ahead. I know you had mentioned that Alexa is not as good of a worker as some of the other people, but at this point. Um, you know what? She might start to be because she's had some really great matches in the past couple months. Now with Charlotte, before with Mickey James, and I understand it's who she's in the ring with, but dude, every time I see her in that ring, she's just getting better and better. And that match with Charlotte was probably her best of the year. Oh yeah, she's definitely. I'm not by any stretch. I'm not saying she's you know Eva Marie in there. She's talented. She can go. There are just girls who are better in ring performers. Those girls, i.e., Bailey, Sasha, don't have an ounce of what she can bring as a character and as a performer, as an actor, as as putting over her gimmick. So she's got them there. It's just a matter of some people are stronger in different areas. Right. Is that is that it for the women's yeah, match? That's, you good? That's, that's, okay. Uh, that brought us to the Battle of the World Champions in another match that was changed at the last minute uh, in sort of a nonsensical way, as I pointed out on last week's show. But it is the Beast Incarnate Brock Lesnar, the Universal Champion, going one-on-one with AJ Styles, the WWE Champion. Of course, Brock Lesnar came away with the win. I don't think this was ever really in doubt, particularly not in doubt when the announcers told us, hey, all SmackDown has to do is win one of these last two matches, I think you knew that Raw was winning this fucking match at that point. Uh, but uh, and a lot of people had issues with this, and I was a little bit leery as the match started, and Brock started to completely ragdoll AJ and dominate him. They did the right thing. AJ got a lot of shit in. AJ had some false finishes, some spots where it looked like he was going to win. The moment the crowd exploded when he put that calf crusher on because it looked like there was a chance he was going to make Brock tap out. Uh, Everything was great. One little thing I noticed during that match that I really enjoyed was Heyman is clutching that belt, okay? And then... When Brock is like on his on his back and he's trying to get to his feet, Heyman holds it up. And it reminded me of Paul Bearer with the urn yeah. back in the day. Like whenever he needed to power the Undertaker up, he would raise the urn in the air. And that was sort of what Heyman was doing with the belt. And I just really got a tickle out of that. Uh, but ultimately, I, I thought this was a great match. You know, a lot of people, uh, specifically in our, host, in our host thread, and some people who co-host this show don't like Brock Lesnar. They have a real big issue with him. I never did. I've always I've always liked Brock. 
I've always been a fan. Fuck you. I'm calling bullshit on you, Sal, because I can go back in those host threads right after leading into the Joe match, leading into every match Lesnar has had. All we hear is, he's got to get that fucking belt off Lesnar. I don't need to see him anymore. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me. That belt needs to be on Raw every week, and that belt does not need to be on Brock Lesnar. But... When he's on pay-per-view, I watch, and usually I enjoy what I'm watching. Okay. And him with AJ was great. AJ, there was a couple of times I thought maybe AJ was going to win. Definitely the calf crusher spot, but one thing I liked is when Brock got out of that spot by slamming AJ's head off the ring. Uh, yes. Um, it, but Cena's done that spot, too. It was I, He just hasn't done it with that level of aggression. Look, that's what Brock does. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, everybody's complaining that it was all one f five. Look, he did that to Braun Strowman. If one f five can right. beat Braun Strowman, the one f five is going to beat AJ Styles, exactly. and that's yep. fine. Uh, the only, the only thing was, yes, in the very beginning of the match, everybody was already on Twitter like, "See, they're killing AJ," and yes, AJ took a beating for the first five minutes, but I thought they made up for it. He got a lot more offense in that I think people would have predicted he got in. That was the story of the match. It was David and Goliath, and Goliath is going to dominate early in that story. That's fine. That's not a problem. To me, the only real problem I had with this was that the finish was entirely too predictable. When AJ went for that second phenomenal forearm, I looked at my wife who was sitting next to me. I was like, he's going to go for it. He's going to get caught right on the shoulders, right into the F5. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. It was just entirely too predictable, and I feel like it's a spot that they've used before. Oh, yeah. Uh, and somebody actually said that to me the day before. AJ, you know what? AJ did the exact same finish in the match with Cena, yeah. where Cena won the title. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he went for the phenomenal forearm, and John Cena caught him. That's right. Right. I forgot about that. But somebody had said that to me the day before uh, Survivor Series. Oh, AJ's probably going to go for the phenomenal forearm and get caught with an F five. And that's the only, you know, that's the problem with Brock matches. You pretty much know how they're going to end, <laughs> one way or another. But- I see, but that hasn't been the case because I think we were all surprised that he beat Joe and Braun both with one F five. So we we have been surprised with the finishes in that regard. It's just the way that it was booked out here, the way they put the the finish together, just was entirely too predictable for my tastes. But it is what it is. I think they could have uh, uh, when he outweighs and outpowers AJ the way he did. I think they could have found a much more creative and and surprising way to get into F five position. You know, just a small little thing, but I think it would have would have helped the match even more. I thought this was a great match. This is, I, I don't know, there's been so many great matches this year. I don't know if you can put it in match of the year candidate, but it was certainly, uh, it made AJ quite a bit. I mean, for him to stand in there toe-to-toe with Brock Lesnar, I, I think just elevated AJ's st- status within the company. Um, I agree, but speaking of predictable, let's talk about the main event of Survivor Series, shall we? Yeah, when you have all these good feelings come out of that match, and then you get to the main event, and this happens. So it was Kurt Angle captaining Raw, joined by Triple H, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, as they took on Shane McMahon's team as he's captaining SmackDown, joined by John Cena, Randy Orton, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Bobby Roode. Now, before we get into this discussion, I feel obligated and compelled 
to announce to the general public that if you're following the Rundown Wrestling Podcast on Twitter, more often than not, that is Adam tweeting those tweets. So when the Rundown Wrestling feed says things like, Wow, Nakamura and Bobby Roode are the first two out. The only two people wanted to see suck my dick. That's not me. Okay? That's uh, not Troy. We we have corrected that situation. I think people are going to start signing their <laughs> tweets on that account. I, I, th- I think so. I, but some people came to me and they're like, oh, you were really upset about it. Uh, no, I have no fucking no, idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. Um, I actually didn't mind this. Uh, so let, let's go through a couple things here. <laughs> Uh, let let's get to let, let let's address that issue that Adam particularly had. I thought Nakamura was made to look great. He, he has uh, he had some nice offense at different points. He definitely did uh, against. I mean, again, you got to look at this. There, Bobby Roode has been in the WWE main roster for a cup of coffee. He's got like what three pay per view and TV matches under his belt, and he is in the fucking ring going toe to toe with Triple H. Finn Balor, Braun Strowman, Kurt, the, being in that match was a victory for Bobby Roode, okay? For Bobby Roode, uh, yes. I love Bobby Roode and Nakamura. However, when it comes to the main roster, their music is more over than they are at this point. They can build, they can move forward, but for right now, they were the obvious two to go out first. They were the two least developed characters in this match. It made the most sense. What do you want? You want to eliminate Shane McMahon first? He's the fucking central figure. You want to eliminate Braun Strowman first? Like, those two made the most sense to be the first two out. You could make a case maybe for Randy Orton, but he is Randy fucking Orton. He's a 15-time world champion. Yeah, did he do anything during this match? Did Randy Orton do anything? Ah, Sal. They set up Kevin Owens and Randy Orton. They, they use Randy Orton's presence to set up a storyline that's going to be on SmackDown going forward. So, yes... Now, all that stuff, I will sit here and defend. I will defend Nakamura and Rude going out first. I will defend Randy Orton. I, there, are, there are some serious things I cannot fucking defend here. Uh, oh, first off, John, John Cena's usage in this match. He was just a fucking guy. He was just there. Can I, There's nothing can I special about him being Can I interject on Go this? Ahead. Um, yep. Um, which is weird because I, I really do agree with you. But if you're going to have that be his role, then why not just put Rusev in that spot? Because right. it didn't have anything. It was anything. an attempt to spike subscription buys. And, but and he, didn't do, he didn't even talk. Well, like, But he, here's the other thing, Sal. For the first, and, and this really wasn't made too public, but this was the first event on the WWE Network that was offered a la carte. You could buy just this event without buying a network subscription. So I sort of wonder if all these names were packed into the show for that reason. See, I didn't. But, I hey, wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, so it, it sort of makes sense maybe that that had something to do with them sort of stacking the deck here in this main event, and, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I just Cena didn't really have much of an impact in this match. There was the cool sort of moment where he went toe to toe with Kurt Angle, which was of course his first match in the WWE, so it was sort of a little full circle moment there. Angle didn't look good in this match. Angle looked like an old guy who really is struggling to do stuff. Um, I, 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 It was almost made me sad watching him. I hope this is just a shaken off the rust situation if he's going to continue wrestling 
because I don't want to see Kurt Angle performing like he performed Sunday. wasn't wasn't good. Let, let, let uh, me throw this at you about Kurt Angle. Two years ago, not even, he was having world-class matches with Cody Rhodes and Drew Galloway over in England. And he hasn't got hurt since then. So I gotta think it's a ring rush thing. I don't think it's it's an old age thing because he's he's you know he hasn't been wrestling at all. Uh, you know it's probably just a timing thing. I think he's still, you know, I guess we'll find out. But yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope you're right. Um, I really liked the usage of Finn Balor and Samoa Joe in this match and the way they sort of kept their personal rivalry going within the construct of the team. Uh, I thought that was really nicely done. Of course, my issue is the same issue everybody else has with the fucking ending. Now, I don't really mind. Again, I don't have the same issues that other people have. I don't mind that Triple H and Braun Strowman came out of this because at the end of the day, that makes Strowman look good. Strowman looked like the, the, the monster here. He came out the younger talented guy came out on top of Triple H. Triple H put that guy over. Really, it's just a logic fail. There was really no reason and and no furthering of Triple H taking out Kurt Angle. They showed up on Raw the next night, and there was very little animosity between the two. Uh, They should have had to have been separated. There should have been some sort of a pull-apart between the two. The way they booked it, they didn't really follow up on it and have it make a ton of sense. That was my real issue with it. Because they don't know what they're doing. And they have no idea where they're going. Well, we don't know what they're doing. They may have a design that we don't know about yet. What if they do have a design for Kurt Angle versus Triple H at WrestleMania? Which, to be honest, is probably not a match that should take place in 2018. Well, but but if it's done where Jason Jordan comes out and turns on Kurt and helps Triple H win that match, you have now, for all the bitching people do about them not making young guys... That makes a young guy. You think Jason Jordan's making it to WrestleMania as a face? He's not making it past this month as a face. I don't know about that. This may be just a slow burn. It's a possibility. But the reason I don't think you saw a pull-apart between Angle and Triple H is because maybe what they saw during that Survivor Series match from Angle, maybe now they're not so sure. Maybe they don't know if they want to go Braun Triple H to WrestleMania or Angle Triple H to WrestleMania. You know, maybe they have to decide what they're going to do with that. My biggest problem, first of all, that Triple H is in this match in general. I mean, we, we are in 2017, and yes, I understand that the game is a draw, but the game was never a draw like The Rock was a draw. The game was never Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's been in that position because he's put himself in that position, him and his father-in-law, for the past 15 years. Now, did this night really have to be all about Triple H? Did he have to Did he have to crack Kurt Angle in the back of the head to prove a point? Like, that was fucking ridiculous. That, and, and if it does lead to Braun getting over from this, that's fine. But Braun has gone over, you know, pretty good without Triple H. I don't think Triple H adds that much to it. Uh, we'll agree. We'll agree to disagree on that one. I, I I really didn't have an issue with it. I saw it as a as a you know fairly well done storytelling uh, formula. But we're uh, we're a little bit over an hour into the show, and I think that's a pretty good time 
to discuss the week that was in wrestling, hopefully fairly briefly. We like to call it the Perfect Ten. The Perfect Ten. A ten. A ten. A fucking ten. All right, leading off the Perfect Ten this week, let's do the biggest story of the week as far as I'm concerned. The return to WWE of former women's champion, Divas champion, I guess you would say, Paige. I think we all expected this. I think we all saw this coming. Uh, you know, there was speculation she'd be added to Survivor Series, so I don't think there was a huge shock that she returned the night after Survivor Series. Where it became shocking was the fact that she brought two NXT women with her in the form of Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, two women who were really not utilized a ton on the NXT roster. DeVille was starting to be. Mandy Rose, we really hadn't seen much of at all. So I, I, I was personally shocked. Um, they were sort of built to run through everybody, and they did that. Uh, I thought this was great. I'm really curious to see where it goes, uh, and I'm excited about the possibilities. Paige's return on Raw is the reason why we all refrain from jumping on the computer and doing a post-Survivor Series episode. Because we have to let the story play out. Originally, I was very disappointed that Paige wasn't at Survivor Series. Now, after watching Raw, forget about Survivor Series. This is a way better story. And I am intrigued about who they selected to bring up in this in this angle. It wasn't your typical, let's take the girls from the top who are working on top and move them up. We have Sonya Deville, who has not had an NXT TakeOver match, and Mandy Rose, who really has not been on NXT television, but has been in that system for a good couple of years now. You know, I'm really intrigued to see where this goes, and it's, of course it's great to see Paige back, but they beat up everybody. They didn't limit it to the faces. They beat up everyone, and I thought that was great. Yeah, and there's a, there's a built-in tie-in because, of course, both those women were contestants on the season of Tough Enough that we talked about Patrick Clark was on. Those two women were on that season, and guess who was a judge on that season? So yeah. th- there is, there's a storytelling tie-in that they could use there if they want to. We'll see if they end up taking advantage of that. Um, also, so on a side good- note, I was really yeah. happy that Paige got the reaction she did from the crowd. Um, yeah, absolutely. She's been through yep. a lot in the past yep. year and um you know whether she's playing heel or face i think she adds so much to that division that is so needed yeah. right now yep absolutely uh and the the cherry red lipstick was a great look nice for touch. her too it was a nice little touch um so from great debuts to <laughs> not great debuts uh the bludgeon brothers made their debut on smackdown live tonight taking on the hype bros and I've already forgotten this. Uh, we were skeptical going in as those vignettes were sort of shitty. Um, the entrance was cool. I actually enjoyed the entrance. I thought that was well done. And then the bell rang. Uh, the outfits were bad. They were sort of like cheap. You know, it, these were like the children of Cain or something. I don't know what was going on there. Um, these guys are incredibly talented. They're good as a tag team. Give them something to work with. You're, these hokey bullshit gimmicks just ruin and take away from guys' talent. Um, they'll do their best to make it work. I don't see them really going anywhere with this gimmick. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't see it. Was that 
like right at the end of the first hour that that match happened. Uh, something like that, I think. All right. Well, for whatever reason, so- at nine oh one, Bray Wyatt treated uh, Bray Wyatt tweeted, "Come home." Dot dot dot. So, uh, uh, hopefully, you sure he wasn't talking to his ex wife? He might have been. <laughs> you know the the worst thing about the thing with the Bludgeon Brothers is that the crowd could kill us. They really yep. could. And it's sad because you could, you know, regardless of the gimmick, these guys have the talent to get over, especially Harper. We all know that. Um, and if you give them anything, like, even a little bit compelling, it can work. But you've gotten to them to this point where they're, they're just a big, hairy Dolph Ziggler. That's all they are. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody yeah. gives a shit, and nobody will, especially against the fucking hype, bros. Come on. Ugh. Not a good debut. Yep, yep. no, not at all, and not a good gimmick. However, a... let's tie it in with number eight on the list. Okay. Because we saw some NXT blood infused into the women's division on Raw, and tonight, very surprisingly, we saw some injected into SmackDown as well. Yeah, uh, in the form of Sarah Logan, Ruby Riot, and Liv Morgan, who showed up backstage uh, greeting Naomi, attacked her, uh, and then went on to attack Becky Lynch as well. Later on in the night would come out and take out Charlotte and Natalia during their women's championship match. So I, first off, let me say I'm really happy for all three of these women. Uh, my issue here, the, the thing I'm a little, I'm a little leery of is First off, this felt like a blatant ripoff of what happened on Raw, which to me took away from the impact of these women debuting. It literally felt like a carbon copy of what I watched on Monday night. Um, my other issue is, and, and this is where WWE sometimes doesn't learn from their mistakes. The thing I think hurt the original women from NXT, and I'm talking about Charlotte and Sasha and Becky, was that they all got called up as this one group. Right. And nobody got individual introductions. Nobody got a chance to develop their character. They were just, hey, here's all these women and they can wrestle. Um, you're now talking about bringing up five new women from NXT. And these are NXT characters that weren't really developed as it is. I don't know that the fans are going to attach to these guys, these ladies. The Raw girls have a better thing going because they're attached to Paige, who the crowd does know. True. I have a little bit of fear for Sarah Logan, Ruby Riot, and Liv Morgan. Also, the last time we saw Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan, they were your cookie-cutter baby faces on NXT. Yeah, not so much. And they're not being portrayed that way here. I, I've got to see where this story goes, but I, I, I have concerns here. I can understand the concerns, but I am intrigued. I am intrigued because they're not going to, as, as much as I have disliked the booking in this company this year, they're not going to debut these women from NXT in the same week without purpose. I feel like there's going to be a tie-in somewhere. And maybe purpose, but they again they had a purpose in bringing the original four horse the horsewomen up. They just didn't execute it. True. Now they have done this in the past with some success and some failure. Let us not forget, the Shield was three random guys from NXT, and they just threw them together as CM Punk's security. 
it, but they immediately got depth and character. Well, we have we have to. I'm I'm willing to let let this play out. You know, sure. Um, and I am I'm very intrigued of who they picked. You know, Sarah Logan. Um. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Ruby Riot. Ru- Ruby Riot and Liv and Morgan. And Liv Morgan. I mean, these are all very talented girls who obviously can work and have worked all over the world. Um, and just like Raw needed new blood in that division, this puts a lot of new blood in in the SmackDown women's division. But they do have to develop their character. They can't just be... Because we've seen it before. You know, a unit that goes on a tirade and, and destroys everybody in the locker room. Well, there's got to be an end game. Whether it's Charlotte is the end game, or whether it's you know somebody like a Becky, maybe that, maybe this, maybe this is Becky's new feud, you know, or Naomi since they already started a fight with her, could be interesting. Nexus started the same way too. I think it'll be interesting to look at who didn't get, doesn't get attacked by these girls because there may be a WWE main roster woman, maybe a Carmella on SmackDown that organized the arrival of these women. To have her back, perhaps now that Ellsworth is out of the picture, maybe Carmel is forming her own four horsewomen as she begins to consider taking the title off Charlotte. Just a theory thrown out I, there. I, are knows? you saying that they that these three women have a higher power? They might. It was me, Charlotte. No. Um, <laughs> uh, Natalia, yeah. not you. Don't let these girls go near Natalia. Please keep them as far away from Natalia as possible. We'll see where it goes. My, my, I, I have a bit of a theory that this is more or less we're signing a good chunk of the May Young Classic women down to NXT. We need to clear some spots. Let's get these girls who we're not going to do anything high profile with down in NXT and bring them up and see what they can do. You know, there was a case, you can make a case that that was what they did with Alexa Bliss, and it worked out pretty fucking good for her. So these girls have an opportunity. We'll see if they can run with it. Um, People who are starting to finally run with opportunities. Asuka, once again on Raw, uh, showcased in a way she wasn't showcased in her debut. And I talked about it then. They seem to be adjusting and, and presenting her in the way I said they should have straight along. She went out and basically just beat the bag out of uh, Dana Brooke on Monday. And I, I don't have a ton to say on this because I think I've beat this horse to death at this point. But... I'm glad they're at least finally doing things the way, and I think you're starting to see the crowd reactions turn as well. Uh, not only did she beat up Dana Brooke, uh, this was the original uh, way that Asuka's booked in NXT, where even when you got offense in her, she just shrugged it off and just like countered it. In. Like she, she did a couple things where uh, on Raw, where where she countered Dana into like a, a, a an armbar, like in a half a second, like. That Dana was not even like a fly in the wall, um, and now I'm starting to worry. Like, oh man, if they had done this originally, you know, would this really have set the tone for this girl? Is she kind of fighting from underneath now, like in a booking? Uh, yeah, it sucks because I believe I said that, and you argued me on that on the debut. Well, mind you, at the time I did not know they were going to release Emma. I thought this was going to be some type of program <laughs> they did with Emma and Oscar to get Oscar over that way. Um, in hindsight, you know, it, look, if the cheers start getting a little bit louder every week, then we're good. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, like you said, she doesn't run into Naya because that's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. we'll see. 
another one I want to just go through quickly because there's not a ton here to talk about, but Jey Uso and Shelton Benjamin had a great match on SmackDown. I want to say great, maybe, but very good match on SmackDown uh, as a singles competitor. Shelton, we know what he can do in the ring. We talked about what the Usos are doing as a tag team. Jey went out there, I thought, killed it. Uh, this is just a really good match. I suggest you go back and take a look at it. Um, the only thing that's interesting to me about this program is I don't know who the heels and who the faces are in this. So, like I said before, Survivor Series kind of put everything on hold, but the last we saw before all that was that Chad Gable did a chop block and, and almost took Jey Uso's knee out. And then he kind of... Which which says heel. Right, But then you right. go back and remember that they did the same fucking thing to him, so this is just him getting his revenge as a face. True, but it seems like Chad is being a little bit more bendy of the rules than, than Shelton, so either that's going to lead to a split with them, because we know the Usos aren't splitting up, or Shelton's gonna turn full blown heel. I don't. Um, I don't know. I don't. I never liked this uh, Chad Gable Shelton Benjamin thing. Anyway, it was way too close to what they do at Alpha, and way too soon. So if they break them up, I'm fine with it. You are giving me all sorts of ideas for show titles this week, Sal. I gotta tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see which one I end up going with. Uh, back over onto the Raw side. Uh, we had a little bit of an interaction to open the show where Jason Jordan demanded a match with Kurt Angle. Braun Stro- I'm sorry, with Triple H. Braun Strowman came out, said he wanted Triple H. Uh, Stephanie, of course, did what Stephanie does and made the match between Braun and Jason Jordan. Uh, didn't go far because Jason Jordan's uh, phantom leg injury started acting up again. He had to go to the back. This led to the return, the much-anticipated return, the thing everybody's been waiting for, of Kane. And this is just another thing that I didn't give a shit about. I look, I like I said last week. I respect everything Kane's done in the ring. I respect his career. I have zero interest in watching Kane in a wrestling ring in 2017. Kane is a placeholder. Okay, he's there for now for Braun to have a weekly program with. That's all he is. He's- he should hold a place in the <laughs> Knox County fucking mayor's office because that's where he should be. This isn't the first time they've done shit like this with with an older wrestler that they're just using to to get, you know, week to week to get from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. Braun is obviously destined for bigger things. I think the real story here is is Jason Jordan's subtle heel turn. Um, You know, he goes in the back... And he's like, oh, d- yeah, yeah, I, I know I said. Is it subtle though? Well, because he was like, I, I, I know I said that I wasn't, I, I was, I was ready, but I'm really not ready. My knees really hurt. And Kurt's like, why, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, it's okay, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll get up, and I'll, I'll beat him. I'll beat Braun Strowman better than anyone else has. And you're just like, you're gonna get fucking killed, <laughs> which yeah. is great because that's what the crowd wants. And then what he does is he gets out of the ring, and he's like, oh my knee, it could work. Jason Jordan as a swarmy little squirrely heel could work if it's done right. Ah, well, we'll see how it plays out. What was done right to me on Raw was the Finn Balor Samoa Joe match. This was a really top notch match for a weekly television show. These guys went out and I thought they killed it. Uh, they didn't hold anything back. This was a pay per view caliber contest. Uh, complete with a straight, clean finish as Joe choked out uh, Balor and put him down. I enjoyed that they gave us a straight finish. I enjoy that Joe's being put over as a beast. There's really no way around it, but my only real issue here is now Balor's lost, you know, to, to Kane out in you know in a match that didn't really matter. 
And now he's being choked out on TV by Joe. Not the best look for Finn. I mean, I'm sure they'll rebuild him at some point, but he's sort of being used to put guys over right now. And that's fine. That's a role some guys have to take. And anytime you put Joe over as a monster, I'm good with it. I'm going to say something our listeners might not agree with, but I thought their match on Raw was better than the matches they've had at previous takeovers. Maybe yeah, you can make that case. Maybe it was just, you know, they they've learned to work with each other, they have built up a chemistry. Um as long as these guys were on the indies, I don't think they ever crossed paths really in their past before going to NXT. Um I love this match. And I was surprised because I thought the the typical formula was, you know, back and forth, back and forth, Balor gets the advantage, coup de gras, we go home. And um, Joe choked him out, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not even that upset that Balor's taken those two high-profile losses in a row because he's Finn Balor. He'll come back. The fans are behind him. The girls love him. Uh, the Kane one is nonsensical. That was bullshit. But this one I have no I have no problem with. I, I feel like this is actually serving a purpose, right. so I'm fine with this one. And like you said, uh, it makes Joe look like a fucking beast. So Exactly, and that's something he needs. Uh, AJ and Jinder set up their main event match at Night of Champions uh, as AJ was out cutting a promo ready for the match that Jinder said at the pay-per-view he wanted on SmackDown, uh, except Jinder didn't show. He was just on the screen. Uh, And more production problems as at the end of this promo, Jinder is talking with no volume. (laughs) So... Uh, I did see you that, know, by the way. There's, there's not a ton here to really recap. I will ask you this. Are you excited for AJ versus Jinder at Night of Champions? Yeah, I'm wicked excited. Uh, hopefully AJ beats him and we never see Jinder again. No, I'm kidding. Um, look, <sighs> you would think in six fucking months Jinder will learn how to cut a decent promo. He still can't. Okay. I think he's gotten better. I'll give him that. I think he's gotten but better. But it's it's very like, stop it. Stop reading off the card, okay, because you sound like a fucking moron. AJ Styles is here, and for those who can't see what I'm doing at home, I'm pointing to the sky. He's jerking off. And and Jinder is, is very, you know, I'll, look, I'll even give him upper mid card. But he doesn't belong in a main event program with AJ Styles. So hopefully... At Clash of Champions, Styles beats him, and that's the end of Ginger's main event push. Well, I guess we'll find out. I, I will say this. The best match during this run that I've seen Ginger have was the match with AJ. So I'm curious to see what they can pull together with more time and more and more chance to tell the story. So we'll see how it plays out. AJ uh, and a broom could main event WrestleMania, let's be honest. Well, yeah. it's probably true. Uh, and that broom this year, hopefully, will be Nakamura. Uh, Sammy, oh, Sammy Zayn and Kevin Owens continue to have the most weird and convoluted feud in history uh, as they have a little program. They start out the show with a promo with Shane McMahon. They're going back and forth. Everything seems great. Shane's about to drop in a true Vince style. You're fired on him. Except then Daniel Bryan comes out and says, no, 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 we're not going to fire you. You're going to have a match with the New Day, and it's going to be a handicap match. Uh, and you've pissed off everybody else by turning on Raw, uh, by turning on SmackDown, so everybody else from SmackDown will be on there. And this led to a series of vignettes throughout the show with Sammy and Kevin trying to turn people back to their side to help them out during the match, unsuccessfully, of course, including Bobby Roode talking to them in the back in full robe, only to come out, never wrestle on the show, and come out later in his T-shirt. 
So a little bit, a little bit bizarre, but, but we did get a Cologne sighting because that was something we haven't seen. Uh, it, it, the match was fine. The match was good. Uh, ultimately, it ended with uh, some some chicanery at the end of the match. Kevin Owens, uh, I'm sorry, Sami Zayn rolls up Kofi, gets the clean victory. I mean, it was a little distraction, but it was a clean victory. He didn't hook the tights. He didn't do anything, uh, you know, nefarious. Uh, this led to a brawl post-match with the Lumberjacks. Then Kevin Owens gets the fuck out of Dodge, runs to the back, and your faces, uh, apparently upset after suffering a clean vi- clean loss, decide to beat the shit out of Sami Zayn three-on-one. Let me remind you again, these are your faces. I... I don't know who's the heel in the face here. I mean, fuck, Shane Shane came off as a superheel on that opening promo. You know, like you said, to like Vince McMahon Jr., like he was going to fire them right there. And then you got Daniel Bryan in the middle of this, and you know that he's super over and nothing he does is ever going to be viewed as bad from the, from the fans. So the one thing I will say is that Vince McMahon at 72 years old does not take a bump. He does not get in the ring and get beat up by Kevin Owens unless there's a reason. All the guys who Vince have, you know, has had any type of physical altercation with in the past five, six years have been on top. Except for Titus O'Neil. Well, that wasn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no way 72-year-old Vince takes that beating for no fucking reason. There's got to be, like, a logical end game to this, right? And Survivor, yeah, in the cell. and Survivor Series was just, you know, kind of like a, a a pit stop because they needed to get through that. But, okay, so we're going into Clash of Champions. I'm assuming maybe we get Owens and Orton again because we're going to see it next week. Um, maybe we do Sammy and Shane. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. Maybe, maybe Sammy and Owens versus Shane and Daniel Bryan. But what do you think? Daniel will turn on him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story they've been telling is that Daniel and Shane have all this animosity the past few weeks. Yeah. yeah. No, obviously that's not where they're going, but it would be an interesting way if they if they ever did. Uh, yeah, it's it, this feud is just so weird. It's gone in so many different directions and been ignored for a while now. I'm curious to see where they go with it. Uh, Orton and, and Kevin should be a nice match next week. I'm interested in seeing that. But you know, we'll see. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm pretty lukewarm on this angle at this point. But we'll see how it plays out. Um, one thing that I thought was great: Monday Night Raw, Roman Reigns and the Shield interrupt Miz TV. Roman gets a great reaction from the crowd in Houston. And by the way, hats off to that Houston crowd. They were fucking great all weekend. They were really on point. Um, You're saying they weren't cut- like the Brooklyn crowd over the summer. Right. 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 Uh, Roman cuts what I thought was one of his better promo, one of his better runs of mic work uh, in a while, going back and forth with The Miz. It ends with a challenge for Roman in an IC title match with The Miz, and I think a lot of people went into this going, ah, Roman's not getting the IC title. There'll be some bullshit finish because, you know, Roman's going to be fighting for the world title, blah, blah, blah. And Roman Reigns beat The Miz for the Intercontinental Championship. And here's the thing acted like he was really fucking happy to have that belt, which is something he's been accused of not doing in the past. So I, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought this was great. Uh, later it came to light that Miz is sort of taking some time off to film the next version of the Marine, 
uh, which might have been a big factor as to why they did this title change. But I'm, I, I like Roman as Intercontinental Champion. I have admitted many times on this show that I'm a mark. And I've also said that I like when they work me. And you know what? At the end of fucking Raw, I was fucking jumping out of my chair when he pinned Miz. I really bought in. I thought it was the great... You know what? I have never been as as hating on Roman as some other people. I've been critical at different points with his promo work. But I popped huge for this. And I thought it worked great. And you know what? I think... If you do Intercontinental Champion versus Universal Champion at WrestleMania, I think that's money. I really do. And there's going to be a lot of people that are like, ugh, Roman's going to hold both belts. No, just stop. Like, sit back, enjoy it. Because this guy is fucking money. You're just saying this because you're getting ready to do WrestleMania 6 for WrestleMania Salvation and Champion versus Champion, title versus title is on your brain, right? Absolutely. Okay, (laughs) just checking. No, but I did. I did pop, and I did think. You know, I thought it was a good moment. I wasn't See, expecting. I gave a cheap it. plug to your show too. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> no, like you said, nobody was expecting them to change the title. And how about that fucking match? That yep. was a great match. Yep. Twenty minutes long. The, uh... When he hit the friggin' uh, when Miz hit the skull crushing finale, I totally was like, "Nope, oh, that's it. They're gonna pin him." Nope. Nope. Roman, and you know what? I guarantee you there will be people who are like, uh, Roman won again. Like, you know what? Fuck you. That crowd reaction was great to see because maybe, even if it is because of the shield, maybe he is slowly starting to get over as a face. You know what? Hey, guess what? It came naturally. Sure, the shield helps, but I'll take it. It works. Yeah, this everything they've done since they reunited the Shield has worked exactly the way they wanted it to. So hats off to them. We shit on their creative sometimes when it when it doesn't go where we need it to, where it doesn't make sense. This was beautifully executed by WWE Creative. It got them to exactly where they wanted to be. And with that, we are going to wrap up the Perfect Ten. And as always, when we wrap up the Perfect Ten, Sal, do you want to tell them where we go? We go to the news. And leading off our news this week, Ric Flair is suing Legacy Talent and Entertainment, the company that represented him for several years until he parted ways with them in September. TMZ first reported the lawsuit last week, noting that Ric Flair is alleging Legacy Talent and Entertainment owes him at least $46,000 after hiring a lawyer to look into his finances. Of that money, Flair is saying they didn't inform him about $25,000 they received from First Row Films, which is Rory Karp's production company. Karp, of course, directed the ESPN 30 for 30 on Ric Flair. The TMZ report states that Flair also noticed a $12,000 royalty advance he never got for an endorsement deal with Jake's Fire. Fireworks. Flair says legacy talent in entertainment told him they were using the money to pay legal bills when he inquired about it, something Flair denies he approved. Shortly after his health scare earlier this year, Flair announced that he was parting ways with legacy talent and entertainment and their CEO, Melinda Morris Zanoni. He is now being represented by Get Engaged Media, but he's already engaged. Um, oh. I think the biggest thing to me to come out of this story is that Ric Flair's got an endorsement deal with Jake's Fireworks. 
Uh, Ric Flair's made a lot of financially bad decisions in his life, and he'll be the first one to tell you that. I would like to think, though, that this one wasn't on him. I, I think yeah. I think this company legit fucked him over. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. It's always it's always a tough time. Celebrities don't always keep good track of their money. They trust the people that are uh, working with their money, and oftentimes we see it. Just ask Wesley Snipes. It uh, sometimes doesn't work out for you so well. Ah, speaking of celebrities, uh, the protective order this week Jennifer Hudson filed against David Otunga has been released, and it shows that the singer claims he was physical with her during a recent argument. TMZ obtained a copy of the document in which Hudson says she is living in fear of David due to his, quote, aggressive, threatening, and harassing behavior, end quote. The Academy Award winner claims Otunga told their son to film her during a recent recording session in an attempt to prove she's dating one of her producers. And when she got home, David was angry. Hudson claimed he then physically pushed her out of the master suite and multiple witnesses saw it. As previously reported, Otunga denies he was ever physical with her. The singer also noted that Otunga would leave a gun and holster on their kitchen counter, which Otunga says was a movie prop, but since she is sensitive to firearms, Jennifer believes he left it there to taunt, intimidate, and frighten her. Hudson is asking the judge to give her significant decision-making responsibilities for their son because she claims to be responsible for, for the yeah, most that he makes. Otunga says that is false. Police have also reportedly launched a domestic battery investigation in regards to her claims. Um, obviously, this is sad news. A couple breaking up. There are kids involved. It's a mess. Um, and I and this is the type of stuff that comes up when people are in custody battles. Um, you know, every side is trying to do as much as they can to paint the other side as bad and unfit as a parent so that they can get custody of their children. And are you fucking snacking over there? Or what's going on? I moved something that was in my way. Oh, okay. Was it like a bag of Oreos? Because that's what it sounded like. It was a bag. It does not have Oreos in it, unfortunately. Oh, it's got some uh, cannabis. Uh, anyway, the <laughs> the situation between Otunga and Hudson. Sal, what's your take on that? Ah, oh, fuck, man. This, every time somebody gets divorced or separated, this is how it goes down. It, I've seen it a million times. I've seen it with people I know. I've seen it with celebrities. And, and it's always the same story. And nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. All we know is what gets reported to TMZ and what the police reports say. So Jennifer Hudson, after being married to, to Otunga for a number of years, is now saying he's physically abusive. And both of them are saying that the other one is unfit to take care of the kid. And it, it it's a situation that nobody ever should have to deal with because it fucking sucks. And I'm not going to sit here and judge Otunga. There's, there's other people I know that would automatically either paint Jennifer Hudson as the liar or say that Otunga is an abuser. And you know what? I say until you until you know the whole story, don't just take someone's word for it. You know. Yeah, that's probably good advice. Uh, this past Wednesday, James Ellsworth's one-year stint with the WWE finally came to an end after he was released from his contract. Well, the news hardly came as a surprise following the releases of Emma, Darren Young, Summer Rae, and multiple NXT talents, WWE fans took to social media to praise Ellsworth. 
After news of the release broke, some shocking info came out, which suggests that Vince McMahon had some crazy plans for James Ellsworth at WrestleMania 34. According to Wrestling Sheet Radio, Ellsworth was in line to face Charlotte Flair on for the SmackDown Women's Championship match at the next year's show in New Orleans, Louisiana. The strange way this was going to come about was that the WWE was going to develop Ellsworth into a transgender character, which would have given him a major push heading into WrestleMania 34. Back in June, Ellsworth unhooked the Money in the Bank briefcase, and the reported plan was for him to become the rightful holder of the briefcase once he came out and got on to challenge for the SmackDown Women's Championship and potentially even win it. The idea came from Vince McMahon as a way to give Ellsworth significant heat. It was noticed that there were still plans to do this storyline as late as August. After being released, Ellsworth announced on Twitter that he is accepting bookings for dates beginning in February 12, 2018. Now... This is where I get really fucking pissed off <laughs> because for all the shit we hear about women's revolution and, and we're putting a focus on the women, it will never really be a case as long as Vince McMahon is in charge of this company because here we are in the smack dab in the middle of the quote unquote women's revolution in the year 2017 and we're still pushing for fucking Santina Morella to show up and run a fucking angle at WrestleMania taking a spot away from Becky Lynch taking a spot away from Paige taking a spot away from Bailey taking a spot away from Sasha Banks and giving the women's championship match at WrestleMania to a man and if this man was really transgendered, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But you're taking a straight white guy and telling us he's transgendered so that you can steal a fucking spot from a woman at WrestleMania. Fuck that idea. Fuck Vince McMahon's opinion of women in wrestling. And fuck the WWE's use of women's revolution. Because until Vince is gone, it's all lip service and bullshit. And to be clear, me personally, I would have no problem if they did a transgender storyline. Not at all. But we know how this story ends. We saw Santina Morella for a good couple of months, you know, at WrestleMania, after WrestleMania 25, and it was the most offensive, stereotypical garbage that Vince has ever wrote in his life. And we were going to get part two. You know what scares me? If he wasn't gonna, if he's not gonna do it, with Ellsworth will he just find someone else to put in that role? Absolutely. You know, for all the shit that Stephanie McMahon talks about, how far women's wrestling has come and how she likes to empower women, for her to be an officer in that company and a very high-ranking one at that, if that, if she was gonna sign off on that, and I understand it's still Vince's company, but she's gotta fucking stop that shit. Somebody needs to take the book away from Vince. He can be the CEO, but as long as, like you said, as long as he is in charge of booking, the women will never get the spot that they deserve or that they earned, because Lord knows they've made money for that company. And we're still going to get hokey, stupid fucking bullshit like this. Like, let's take James Ellsworth, who we all know has been portrayed as a joke, and we'll make him transgender, because that's funny, pal. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah, I'm I'm very fucking glad they did not go down that road. And hopefully uh somebody finally got to Vince's ear and convinced him not to do that because I if I see that at WrestleMania this year, that may convince me to not watch WrestleMania and cancel my subscription. But anyway, 
in some sad news, former WWE star Kamala, real name James Harris, is currently hospitalized in Oxford, Mississippi, and on life support after undergoing emergency surgery. Kamala's stepdaughter, Juanita James, said on Facebook that he underwent surgery at 3 a.m. on Sunday following surgery. Kamala was put <laughs> Kamala was put on to life support. Wrestler and friend Coco Beware was there for support. In an update, James said that Kamala remains on life support. He is showing signs of improvement, quote. James did not say why Kamala I keep doing that. Kamala underwent emergency surgery. The former wrestler has battled numerous health problems over the years, including having both of his legs amputated. In November of 2011, Kamala had his left leg amputated below the knee due to complications of high blood pressure and diabetes, a condition he has had since 1992. In April of 2012, his right leg was amputated below the knee. We certainly wish the best for Kamala and his family in this very, very difficult time. Yeah, hopefully, wish him the best, and hopefully he does make a recovery that... That's rough, man. Especially complications from diabetes. Uh, my wife is a type 1 diabetic and has been since she was 5. And it is a lifetime of yeah. difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it looks like Alberto El Patron's relationship with Paige isn't the only thing that recently ended as its wrestling star also seemingly shut down his restaurant in Texas. <laughs> According to my San Antonio, barricades have been set up outside La Cantanilla? La Cantanina. La Cantanilla. La Cantanita. I'm going to go with that. On Blanco Road, and signs are posted advertising that the space is for lease. In addition, the website for the restaurant has been deactivated and social media pages haven't been updated in a month. Plus, Yelp lists business, the business as closed. My San Antonio notes that it is unclear if the restaurant is permanently closed or just relocating. They also reached out to reps for the wrestler, but haven't heard back. Isn't this the same restaurant that he challenged Triple H to come down and fight him at? Yep. Triple H is like, make a phone call, have that shit shut down. Or maybe Triple H, maybe he caught when Triple H was going to come down and he was like, fuck that. <laughs> he shut it down himself. He was like, ah, game's No way, Paro. <laughs> oh, fuck. I've got more women to abuse, Paro. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I know, know earlier I said, you know, that uh, we can't always believe what we hear about people, but fuck Del Rio. Fuck that piece of shit every fucking way, way you can. He doesn't sound like a great dude. I mean, let, let, let's let's just stick to the shit we know. We know he was married while he was with Paige. Mm -hmm. Still right. legally married when he asked her to marry him. So, you know. Eh, eh, anyway. Uh... It looks like it won't be long before Neville returns to the WWE. This, according to former WWE superstar Sean X-Pac Waltman, during the latest episode of his X-Pac 12360 podcast, Waltman claims... Is it 12360? Is that what it's supposed to be? Probably. Uh, Waltman claims the rumors of Neville and WWE working their issues out are true and that Neville, who reportedly walked out of WWE, will be soon returning. So he said, quote, I'm very happy to know that they have ironed everything out. During the show, I'm sorry, uh, Waltman said during the show, which featured NWA owner and former Impact Wrestling executive Billy Corrigan as a guest, he also said, quote, here's the thing. It's not about how much money you make on the indies. It's about your sanity. It's about when you get back there and they start effing with you and burying you. You can go crazy, dude. 
Waltman continued, creative satisfaction is highly underrated. Highly. It's right up there with the money. Pretty close. Uh, I'm happy that Neville's going to be coming back, it seems. Uh, I thought he was in the midst of the best run of his career, and I feel like there's a long way he can go. I don't think he should be pigeonholed to 205 either. I could easily see him with his heel character as an Intercontinental Championship guy. You're happy now that, that he's working out his issues with, with WWE until he gets put in that James Ellsworth spot. Fuck that. His <laughs> ears are way too big for that. I, I'm kidding. You know, it, it, it's funny because I really don't... God damn, pal. Look at those ears. And he flies. We should fucking call him Dumbo. Put him in a dress. Um, I, I obviously would rather see Neville on my TV every week than not. You know, I'm a big Neville fan. Um, I'm glad when guys can work it out. Although I will say I understand when they've just had enough and they can't because, you know, from everything I've heard from from wrestlers in their own podcasts and from people who work in the business, that company is a fucking mindfuck. It really is. Yeah, it seems that way. But if he does come back, I'm more than welcome to see Neville back. Like you said, he... he doesn't need to be in 205 Live. He could be doing a lot of other things in many other programs. Yeah, exactly. And that is going to do it for the news desk this week. We will now head over to our, it's not a desk, it's just where we, uh, event center maybe, where we go through the list of indie wrestling things coming to the area where you might live and certainly shows you should go check out. As I said, we're recording this on Tuesday, but tomorrow, Wednesday, November 22nd, I will be at UFO Wrestling as we present our annual Thanksgiving Eve event featuring the Turkey Rumble. It is Harvest Havoc 2017. As I said, November 22nd, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. This event is a fundraiser for the Tynan Community Center where the event is being held. Matches. The main event features the UFO Heavyweight Championship on the line as the kingpin, Brian Malonis, defends that title against the dynasty, Bo Douglas. In a no-count-out, no-DQ match, Evan Six faces Aaron Amadeus and Tim Lennox in a triple threat. Ilya Markopoulos and Christian Casanova team up to take on Channing Thomas and Carlos Gabriel. The SOG Ronnie Ribs versus Osiris. The cool people make their first defense of the UFO Tag Team Championships against Team Picture Perfect, perfectly fit Dan Terry and the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo. Davian takes on Belmont. Benny Jux has issued an open challenge for a triple threat. Adira makes her UFO wrestling debut against Luscious Latasha. Also, the annual Turkey Rumble with the following competitors so far announced. Channing Thomas, Connor Tice, the Castle Island Assassin, Sully Banger, King Leon VI, Ike, and the SOG Ronnie Ribs. Front row seats are $15 in advance and $20 at the door. General admission $10 in advance and $15 at the door. Reserve your tickets safely and securely through the friends and family feature on PayPal at paypal.me slash Patrick Dillon. Title it Havoc. Search for more info at UFO Wrestling on Facebook. And if that's not enough UFO Wrestling for you, I encourage you to check us out at Black Friday. That is Friday, November 24th at 7 p.m. from the Bell Time Club, 40 Broadway Street, Wakefield, Massachusetts. It is the Black Friday show. Tickets are $10 general admission, and if you purchase a general admission ticket at Harvest Havoc, you can purchase a Black Friday ticket for just $5. 
So far, all we know is that the main event will feature the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo getting his title shot he earned almost a year ago before his injury. His opponent will be determined by the winner of the main event at Harvest Havoc. And for our fans in the Portland, Oregon area, DOA Pro Wrestling presents Holiday Aftermath November 25th. Doors open at 5.30, bell time is at 6 at the Waddles Boys and Girls Club in Portland, Oregon. Featuring the return to DOA of Evolve star Darby Allen as he takes on Sergeant Mike Everest. DOA Pure Champion Julian Wyatt and CJ Edwards will face off against Mike Santiago and Schaff. DOA Grand Champion Ethan HD will defend his title against Johnny Paradise. DOA Tag Team Champions the Varos Twins defend the belts against Four Minutes of Heat. The Human Experiment... Which was also what I called my honeymoon. There you go. The Human Experiment, Udo, takes on Dr. Cleaver. That sounds fun. Ravenous Randy Myers faces off against the Devil Drexel. Wade Hess faces Eric Wright in a no-rule street fight. HBQ Quiz faces Sonico. Go to DOAProWrestling.com for tickets and more information. And also on Saturday, December 9th, Midwest Entertainment is live from Mount Hope, Kansas. No matches have been announced yet, but the show will feature the Honky Tonk Kid, the Samoan Predator, Mr. Fitness 2, Midnight Rose, Christian Temple, the Mangler, and many more. Tickets available now at MWEProWrestling.com. Kids 3 and under are always free. See, these things get easier the more you do them, Sal. You just need a little more practice. The second one was much better than the first. Ah, speaking of which... On Saturday night, December 9th, APW finishes their year with the biggest show of the season. It is full force elimination. It comes to you from the Boys and Girls Club of Lower Merrimack Valley, 18 Maple Street, Salisbury, Massachusetts. This is our second event in our Toys for Tots drive. Bring a new or unwrapped toy and receive $5 off of general admission. Doors open at 6. Bell time is at 6.30 p.m. And if you joined us, Last Saturday for our event, you know we have already signed two huge matches for this show. We are going to have a women's Falls Count Anywhere match as Vanity Vixen goes one-on-one with Belmont. These two ladies fought all over the building last Saturday, including uh, knocking me down. It was an uncomfortable situation. Um, <laughs> but if that's not enough, we have what is sure to be a just a smorgasbord of violence. No countouts, no DQs. The juggernaut John Poe goes one-on-one with Apocalypse. These two have been tearing at each other for months. There's been chairs, chains, chips, dips, chains, whips, anything you can think of. These two are going to destroy each other at full force elimination. You do not want to miss it. We will have more matches announced shortly, but one more time, that is... Saturday night, December 9th, APW Full Force Elimination. Check out Atlantic Pro Wrestling on Facebook for more information. Now, Lucky Pro Wrestling is off until 2018, but they will still be doing some great things until then as Lucky Pro Wrestling and West Real Estate provide a special Toys for Touch drive on Sunday, December 10th, 2017 at the West Real Estate office 386 Main Street, Wilmington, Mass., 10.30 to 12.30. Already announced for the event, LPW champion, selfie-made, the selfie-made man, Vern Vicello, 
Impact Wrestling knockout Alicia Edwards. Alicia. Alicia Edwards. LPW Hard Knocks champion Brickmass Stone. LPW Women's Champion Adira. Would you erase something? No. Anthony Stone, Isana, Christopher James, and more to be announced. Uh, with the donation of a new unwrapped toy or $5, fans can get a photo with an autograph from the appearing stars. All donations will be collected by the Toys for Tots of Massachusetts for the less fortunate for this holiday season. We are taking mail orders. Please have a check or money order made out to Toys for Tots. Amount based off the number of autographs, $5 per. Please include a self-addressed stamped envelope. Uh, Liberty States Wrestling returns to Peabody on Saturday, December 16th with Holiday Havoc and the return of the Opportunity Knox ladder match featuring D.L. Hurst, Brett Domino, the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo, and the clinic Christopher James as they all fight for a contract that guarantees them a shot at the Liberty States title. That is also a ladder, uh, it's a ladder match, so you have that going for you too. Uh, they can get this title shot whenever they want with no expiration date. So it's not like that shit money in the bank that WWE does where you have to do it in a year. You could like cash this shit in five years from now, which is probably the most likely scenario. Uh, also on that show, Big Bacon Brad Hollister makes his Liberty States debut as he tries to take the heavyweight championship away from Christian Casanova. Plus, we see the return of the No Limits Open Challenge featuring the unequaled one Todd Sopel. Also scheduled to appear, Nico Silva, the Punjabi Lion Robo, Hammer Tunis, Setherin, Vanity Vixen, and so much more. And that is going to do it for this edition 321 of The Rundown on Tuesday, November 22nd, 2017. We encourage you to check us out on Twitter at The Rundown Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. You can email the show at rundownwrestling at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail message like Sal sometimes does and we sometimes ignore at 617-863-6967. That is 61-RUNDOWN7. And I assure you, if you call and you're not Sal, we will definitely play it on the show. We, won't, we only ignore Sal on there. Uh, we are now on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling to become a patron. Currently, we have one reward level, The Rundowner, which for $5 a month grants you access to our patron-only episodes of The Rundown. We have one up there now we recorded. We'll hopefully be getting that second one done soon. I uh, encourage you to check out the Slasher Sanitarium. If you're a fan of horror, that is hosted by our boy Troy. Listen to our friends the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, and Mike Crockett on the wrestling podcast about nothing. They drop new podcasts on Mondays and Thursdays. You can follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash DWPAN. Also, check out our new friend Justin Michaels on his show, Yesterland Waltz, on Tough TV. Uh, Justin was some great news this week. They've been moved to primetime slot on Tough TV, so good on them. want to congratulate both Justin and Norm, who put together his appearance on the show for us. Uh, big fans of that show, and want to encourage you to go check that out as well. Uh, subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast to hear all of our other shows. NXT Revisited, The Rundown Sit-Down, this coming Monday. We return with that. WrestleMania Salvation, WrestleMania 6 is coming up, right, Sal? That's right. We just released WrestleMania 5 last week, and WrestleMania 6 will be coming out shortly. Yes, the uh, 
Some great lines in WrestleMania Five Salvation. I encourage you to go check that out. You'll be laughing as much as I did, hopefully. Uh, Glowstick is on there, as well as the Nitromania podcast. Uh, and I hear, pray tell, pretty soon there will be another special guest on the WrestleMania on the Nitromania podcast in the future. We'll have to see how that plays out. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you to Sal for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Ray Williams for the logo. Thank you to myself for our theme song because I think it's great. Next week we will uh, we don't have a pay per view to talk about or to predict, so it's one of those rare weeks in between. Next week I'm sure we'll see a little bit more about how the NXT Women's Infusion plays out in the WWE. I'm sure we'll be discussing that, but we will be back with more rundown wrestling next week maybe troy will be back maybe he won't maybe i'll be by myself maybe we'll just leave this shit for sal to do who knows who knows who will quit who knows who will show up tune in next week to find out we will see you next thursday the rundown wrestling podcast was created and subsequently abandoned by adam salzer and is produced and edited by jason stewart this episode was hosted by Jason Stewart and Sal DeCheca. We are a proud Questionable Endeavor Network member. Check out all their shows, including the other wrestling shows, the Raw Attitude Podcast and the New Blood Rising Podcast, horror shows, the Slasher Sanitarium and the Shadow Vane Podcast, as well as the rest of their shows, Taco Tuesday, Words of Geekdom, Pwn Stars, the Reanimator Podcast, and Nerd CTLR, all at questandnetwork.com. And tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast.